Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. How are you doing there? It's David, it's podcast time. I'm here, Mr. Davis, socially distanced, but in actual fact, I've kept my distance from him. I used to social distance from him when I didn't have to social distance from him. You know what I mean? How are you, Ed? I'm good. I'm good. I'm bangjaxed this week. Why are you bangjaxed? Oh, it was just one of those weeks. Loads of work, which is great, not complaining. But uh, yeah, my one of my daughters turned 18. And I felt really sorry for her because she she couldn't have the big 18th. You know, she couldn't mark it properly. Could you think of anything worse than having your 18th sitting around the kitchen table looking at your dad? It, but that's exactly what it was. So anyway, and then it was my anniversary, 21st anniversary. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. 21st, I remember. Wow. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? That was the night before you left my wedding early. Because it was the, absolutely right. It was right. your very first agenda gig. Do you remember Shit. that? So that was 21 years 21 ago. 21 years ago. It was the very first time I was on TV in Ireland. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Flanking it. <laughs> Flanking it. You weren't drinking at my wedding. I know. Shocking. <laughs> I know. I used to take my work seriously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, years yeah. ago. That was, yeah. Them were the days. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm keen. I'm keen. <laughs> but you know, the, the funniest thing in all of that, the funniest thing I saw this week was the footage of our friend Rudy Giuliani leaking oil from his head <laughs> in, a press con- in a press conference. It was the dyed yeah, barnet. Yeah, I rolling down his cheeks. And he apparently the whole press conference went on for ages and ages and he talked the greatest load of shite ever. But as it went on, there was more oil. Leaking out of his head. Straight out of some Buick or something. Well, it's funny, you know, you're, you, you talked about agenda. Did I tell you about the day that I interviewed Rudy Giuliani and Hillary Clinton on the same day? Did you? In the really? States, right? And and Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York. It was like 2002. Yeah, yeah. This is when he was kind of... He was a man. Respected. Yeah, he yeah. was Mayor Mayor Rudy and he'd wear the baseball cap and it was all 9-11 yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And he was talking about the fact that he'd made New York completely, you know, crime-free and all that sort of broken windows theory and all that sort of stuff, yeah. right? And But it was a bizarre day because it was Giuliani in the morning in New York and then get a train to Washington to interview Hillary Clinton later on that afternoon. But Giuliani came out and there was something, I remember saying it to the producer, a woman called Sarah Binchy, after I said, was he as weird as I thought it was? You know those kind of really starey eyes? Yeah. Right? Yeah, really yeah. starey, in your face. And then he started <laughs> to go on and on to me about Yasser Arafat. Really? In what you, you were kind of way. And the PLO and la la la. And then I looked at Sarah and said, 
does he think we're not Irish TV or Israeli TV? Because <laughs> he was going on this big rant. And, uh, but he was bizarre then. But he was always one of those guys. And because of 9-11, everyone, the world saw him as this great leader, this great figure, bringing everyone together. And, but yeah, Mayor Rudy, but, Mayor Rudy. But actually, look at the history of this guy. He's a complete and utter nut job who married his cousin. But anyway... Did he marry his cousin? Yeah, yeah his first wife was his, was his first or second cousin. You serious? Yeah. Like, do you remember, do you ever remember in The uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember the great Donnie? Donnie, yeah. I married my cousin because <laughs> yeah. she was good looking. That's Rudy. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, we move on. Come here, listen to you. We got great reaction from last Thursday's podcast. Yeah, the one about the small businesses and yeah. the banks. And Fla what Larkin from Haddington House. Yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. No, it was. Originally from Windsor Park. Indeed. Or, or <laughs> the ghetto that spawned us. <laughs> yeah, and it was very good. But actually, it struck me this morning. I read that AIB, the bank that we own, the state bank, that the state is the major shareholder of. Yeah. We were talking last The week, ones that back Brave. Backing brave, exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, let's talk about that, right? Last week we spoke about the fact there's so many small businesses needing working capital to see them through this crisis in order for them yep. not to default on loans yep. and yep. get back together. So you'd imagine that for the top brass of the state bank that this would be central to their concerns, right? Is how to get the economy going, get finance into it. And, of course... The fact that the ECB has made so much money available. Yeah. We're going to come back to that because we made a fundamental error last week. Oh? This error on sums. We were, oh, man, you got the sums wrong. Got the sums wrong. <laughs> 6% of 1.5 trillion, which is what the ECB has already lent out, yeah. is 90 billion, not 9 billion. Right, you just put the, the decimal point just in the wrong the, place. Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know, exactly, doing the hard sums. So... <laughs> Technically, 90 billion euros has been made available to the Irish banking system to lend to the Irish economy. Yeah. The Irish economy is about a 350 billion euro economy. So we're talking a phenomenal amount of money. We're talking a quarter, or nigh on a third of the amount of GDP has been made available. So we should not have a credit crunch at all yeah. if the banks are doing their job. However, this week was revealed that AIB top brass, are more concerned about buying a stockbroker, good bodies stockbroker, than actually worrying about getting money into people's accounts. Jesus Christ, why? What, what, what? Okay, look, good bodies stockbroker. Again, I have nothing against these guys. I don't know them, but I'm yeah. not against them. I, I, I've known one or two of the people who've worked in there, right? Sure, sure, sure. Good body stockbroker is an Irish stockbroker that has been hawked around the town for the last five years. Okay, they've been trying to sell themselves. They've right. had two deals with some Chinese outfit that didn't go well, right? Right. They were there, they were at the thing, they signed everything. Right? So they're trying to flog themselves. Now, who wants to buy a stockbroker in Ireland? Nobody, except right. maybe one of our banks. Now, why would a bank want to buy a stockbroker? Usually if you want to sell a company, right? Like, yeah. a, like a financial company, you want to sell out because you want to get more capital to do bigger things, right? Right. But stockbrokers don't need capital because it's in it's in the it's called broker. So a broker is somebody who basically yeah, okay. who doesn't need capital. You're broke, right? Yeah. You you buy here, you sell there, you buy here. So you don't actually need a significant capital base, right? 
number one. Yeah. Number two, what Irish stocks are there that are trading actively? Very, very few. Number three, Irish guilt market, the Irish government bond market, as we know now, is being backstopped by the ECB. Right. And then you think, well, mergers and acquisitions, is there lots of M&A advisory? Yeah, but not a huge amount. Now, it strikes me. I could be wrong, but... I doubt it, mate. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Why would AIB want to buy good bodies? And let's go back to what we talked about last time, which is the credit cycle. Yeah. So AIB sold good bodies in 2012. It is now at a much... Sorry, they were... They we, they used to own it. Oh, right. I didn't right? realise it. Okay, right, right, this right. Is, this is all the Irish inside fiction. Yeah. You talk to him or make my AIB. And the reason I can say this on the podcast is it's my money. Yes. Because we own AIB. Yeah. So I'm entitled to have an opinion on it, right? So AIB sell good bodies, right, yeah. in 2012 at a hugely, hugely discounted price. They're now going to buy it back at a hugely inflated price. The same asset where they don't okay, need right. it. So I, I don't this understand is, the logic this behind is, this. This is Remember I was talking about the idea of warehousing. So basically, as yeah. the credit cycle goes up and down, people take opportunity of the credit cycle, right? That's fine. That's yeah. the way the capitalist system works. But for the life of me, when the country is having a small business crisis in credit, AIB is the biggest bank in the country. It's also owned by the state. Yeah. Why the Minister for Finance would agree, as the major shareholder, would agree that AIB use our money yeah. to buy a stockbroker that it doesn't need, which seems to me it's nothing more than basically giving the fellas in the stockbroking company who own it, the management, right. a payout. Because oh, no strategic... So I'm just saying, it's interesting, even though we talk about it in the podcast and people... It's still going on. On and on and on. Money being used, not where it's needed in the economy, but largely, it's kind of an ego thing. It's a vanity Okay, thing let me ask stock. you a couple of things then. Does this just show up the the downside, as it were, of free money? So when, when interest rates hit zero or minus one, it's been used, it's been abused well, on, on this level. That's a really good question, right? When interest rates go to zero, you should be able to sell your company to anyone. Mm. The fact that good bodies could only sell their company to the people who used to own it suggests something to me about the overall strategy, yeah, right? Because when interest rates are zero, you can borrow a huge amount, buy a company, generate the return from that company from the income, yeah. and it actually all looks square and all looks good. What it does tell me is that Irish banking is not doing what Irish banking should be doing. I mean, you've said this before as well, so yeah. this is just a, another example yeah. of it. It should be, you know, Irish banking, particularly a state-owned bank, should be an arm of macroeconomic policy orchestrated by a combination of the Department of Finance and the Central Bank. Yeah, yeah. And what we see is nothing of the sort. What we see is they put their efforts into buying a stockbroker, which actually nobody cares about, and it won't do one thing for the small businesses that actually need the cash. And, and has Pascal or the Department of Finance actually given an explanation or, you know, yeah, even talked yeah, through their logic yeah, or the no, rationale? No, 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 no. So anyway, it's again. So can we, can we get them to give us some sort of explanation? We know you're listening. We know you're down there in the bunker in Marion Street. Give us a call. Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So I had the ball. What I was wanted to talk about this week was what you could be described as the quasi-permanent effects of COVID. What's going to happen? Now we know, John, the vaccine is here. Yeah. In fact, Dolly Parton financed yeah. The second vaccine. Fair play to her. I'm telling you. Good on you, Dolly. You gotta play Dolly. <laughs> you gotta play Dolly. Here's a bit. Okay, but Dolly Parton finance the research into bit of the Moderna new vaccine, which is kind of cool, right? But the vaccine the vaccine starts. The great thing is that now we're going to fight this disease using 21st century technology, yeah, yeah. not medieval technology. Like you think about it, you know, social distancing was something the Venetians did in the Black Death, right? Yeah. The quarantine comes from the Italian expression quarantine, which is the 40-day isolation, which came from Ragusa, which is a republic which is now Dubrovnik. But think about social distancing, quarantines. These are the Justinian plague. When we talk about Justinian yeah, plague, that's is. when social distancing started because they figured out in the 6th century AD, look, we don't know what's going on here, but this disease is jumping from mm. healthy to susceptible. So we should actually keep our distance, right? I knew you'd come back to Justinian plague. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, me and Justin. (laughs) Now, the point is, at least now we have science. We have the men in the white coats. Yeah. We have actually proper science that says, okay, we've got the vaccine. But the question is now, what is, or what has been one of the significant changes in behaviour that will become maybe permanent as a result of COVID? And one thing is, John, it's the end of the business trip. Right. Talk to me about this. 
I mean, I think it's something it's something really significant, right? That I was talking to the chief executive of one of the biggest global financial corporations this week. Mm-hmm. And this guy said to me, John, the biggest budgetary change in this global multinational is business travel. Right. But they've cut it by 90% for next year. Jesus. Right? So it means but no that's just travel. for next year. That's just for next year. But, you know, this is the point is if they're doing it for next year, they do not believe that business travel is necessary. Right, right. Now, if you imagine a big multinational corporation, right, they have executives and managers flying everywhere all the time. So yeah. every airport lounge, every taxi company, every high-end bar, every boutique hotel, all of these people, all of this ecosystem yeah. is there to service business travel. And it seems to me that one of the permanent impacts of COVID and Zoom and meetings and all these yeah. apps is that head honchos believe that they don't need to send people around the world meeting each other. Now, they also said that it's probably cheaper for them to cut travel, yeah. at least psychologically, than cut headcount, than fire people. Well, that's a good thing. And number two, that all big corporations now want to be environmentally compliant. Yeah. And the idea of sending an executive around, you know the difference those people who go left and right, John, on a plane? <laughs> I've never gone left. <laughs> you're, you're a lefty, I'm a righty. And just so in case you don't know, left is first class, right is economy. Next time, John. Coach, don't they call it coach? Coach, as the Americans call it, right. But you only go you only go business class because you're on somebody else's diet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd so never dream of, of... I would never go business yeah. class on myself. Yeah. But like if somebody else says we're going to fly a business... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I make it absolutely, absolutely necessary. Yeah. But With champagne. Exactly. <laughs> but the point is, John, if this is a change, it totally changes business culture. Totally changes it. Yeah, and the change in travel and the change in the way people do business. Yeah. I was just talking to Marla down in the Caribbean. Marla Tukaran. Exactly. And she was saying to me, well, actually, listen to what she was saying, but it's, it's about digital nomads, people coming to the Caribbean to live for a year or two because they don't have to live anywhere else because they don't have to do the business travel. They can actually do it all on their computer, on their laptop. Let's talk to her. Marla, how are you? I am great. David, thanks for having me. And I'm not an old mate. I'm younger than you. (laughs) Much younger than me. But tell us, Marta, talk to me. Barbados and Caribbean countries are attracting in people in COVID, like Mm -hmm. workers, this digital, what what, what are you doing? Digital nomad. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, so you know that most of us in the Caribbean are very heavily tourism dependent. I mean, we actually have in the Caribbean uh, the most tourist-dependent nations in the world. Um, there are only a few of us, like the commodity exporters like Trinidad, Suriname, and Guyana, that are not tourism-dependent. And so this lockdown, this pandemic, has hit us really hard because, of course, travel is restricted and, and people don't want to quarantine and waste their vacation days and so on. So we have all of these tourism assets, let's just say, hotels, um, lots and lots of Airbnbs and so on that are pretty much empty. So we have a couple of countries in the Caribbean where the authorities decided what we would do is we would invite digital nomads to come and live here for a year or two. So in Barbados, it's called the Welcome Stamp. Cayman has a similar offering. It's called the Global Citizen, I think. 
and then Bermuda has one as well, where basically you you apply, you pay a fee. I think it's two thousand US for the one here in Barbados, and you come and you live here for a year. You of course benefit from the beautiful weather and sun, sea, sand, and you do your job from Barbados instead of work from home. You work from here. And, and is it um, working? Are there lots of people coming down? Yeah, there are quite a few. I've met a few, um, a lot of people in the tech space, obviously, because that's a space that I suppose by design is is quite um, nomadic. You can work from anywhere. And um, other people as well. For example, there was, I heard somebody say there was a university that a whole class, the sorry, <laughs> not the class, the, the polo, water polo team came and they they're living here and so they're practicing their water polo here and they're attending online classes. Jesus, John, um, and, I, John and I could take up water polo. We could. <laughs> what about podcasters down podcasters, there? Podcasters. That could podcasters. be our new HQ. That could be, wouldn't, that'd be very cool. That'd be fantastic. I tell you, I'll take, I'll take the place I took Marla, St. John, we'll find the Red Legs in the back end of Barbados. Excellent. Remember that bar? What was the name of that bar? You Well, um, Martin's Bay. It was in Martin's Bay. David, you didn't take me. I took you. <laughs> you don't know about the right? <laughs> Let's just get that clear. You had a map that you didn't know if it was upside down or right side up. <laughs> <laughs> that would be about right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, people who know me, you know, it's like the public image of being quite together and the private image of... Yeah, being... he says, stop here, stop here. And I'm stop. I've, and then he gets out of the car, he goes into a bar. Half hour later, he comes back. I said, okay, so which direction? Do I go? He says, I don't know. I was just having a beer. You were supposed <laughs> to find the directions. <laughs> you left her in the car. Jesus, Mike. <laughs> Listen, I said, let's go in. Let's find the direction. And then the guy started talking to me and started chatting the whole thing, you know, whatever. We would talk to you soon. Take care. Cheers, Marla. Be safe. Jeez, that's really interesting. Sure. We should- <laughs> Consider I'm just, going I'm down looking there. at you and I'm thinking, in yeah. the sunshine, yeah. doing the podcast. Yeah, from the beach. From the beach. Lovely. Nobody would know any different. <laughs> anyway, so as I've always said before, business is personal. Business is not business. Business is personal. Yeah. And that means face-to-face. Well, I'll tell you what we do. We break this down. Let's talk about the economics in a little bit, but let's mm. not talk about the culture, right? Okay. Now, what I always noticed when I worked in big companies, not that I was particularly successful in big companies. It's not really my, there was travel bragging, what I call, right? So this is the idea that business is personal. That basically, first of all, let's talk about the hierarchy, right? So a business trip is a perk of the job. Like who doesn't like to fly business class, to get into the back of a cab, to be dropped to a hotel, to go down to the bar and order wine with somebody else's money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the best yeah. crack, right? Gotta have the finest wine, right? <laughs> okay, and to be treated like an adult and do, and you say, then do the deal and meet other people. Yeah. And you feel kind of important. You feel like, wow, I've arrived. This is good, you know, yeah. right? And I remember it, certainly in the companies, like the travel bragging, some fight comes in, oh my God, I'm Justin from Hong Kong. I'm so tired. <laughs> you know, oh, the, the traffic in Milan is just awful, but I really do like that new airport in Seoul, right? And you're like, Get out of here, man. Yeah. But it's all it was always about the hierarchy in the company. Yeah. So the basically the foot soldiers were pushing pens in the office in their desk, right? Yeah. And then the non-commissioned officers were representing the company in Europe. <laughs> and then the major players were representing the company around the world. So it was all this hierarchy. So it was all about bragging. And it actually, in one way, defined the hierarchy of the building. 
who got to go where. Yeah. So there's a whole, as you would say, sub-business culture in yeah. hierarchy signaling about whether you get to travel or not. Yeah. There's actually a very good song by Divine Comedy oh, yeah. called Come Home, Billy Bird. Oh, I know. International yeah. business traveller, right? <laughs> and it's about this geezer. You see him all the time in airports. It's usually him, but increasingly her as well. And you see him in the airport kind of sweating, a little yeah. bit hungover from the night in the tiles yeah. with the other you know, global chiefs <laughs> of this, you know, worldwide, this, that, and the other directors, right? And he's sweating going through the airport, trying to make his flight a little bit toxic the next morning, yeah. right? This sort of geezer. But the point is the whole world was made up of these people because people are on the move all the time. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about meetings, there's one hierarchy, which is who gets to go to them. Yeah. But the real hierarchy, John, is... The really, really important people don't go to meetings. The meetings come to them. You know, what I've been fascinated by over the last year odd is I'm reading a lot about hunter-gatherers and the role of fire in our existence as a species. And the role of food Mm. and the role of eating and the etiquette, whose food it is, who provides it, who sits beside the boss man, all that sort of stuff. There's all these social signals that are sent by strange things. Yeah. And I'm looking at food amongst the hunter-gatherers at the moment, but it's the same idea. Like, corporations are like hunter-gatherers, right? Yeah. You eat what you kill. And who gets to travel is a big deal. But if that stops, it's going to have a profound impact on business, I think. Because as you said... It was just it's a huge ripple-out effect. You know, it's interesting, actually. CNN have a program presented by your man, Richard, whatever his name is. Quest. Quest, yes, Quest. And it's called The Business Traveller. Well, that's what it's aimed at. Yeah, but absolutely. I, but the economics are, 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 are really simple, right? For airlines, think about this. Less than 10% of every airline passenger is a business traveller, but they make three quarters of all the profit of all the airlines. Really? Wow. So that's the difference. This is So this is huge for the airline business, okay? Yeah. So if there's no business travel, lots and lots of airlines will go out of business. Now, the problem Jeez. is yeah. the business traveler subsidized everybody else. If he or she is gone, the price of tickets is going to go through Don't the roof. Right. Okay, so these are big things. And you think of traditional airlines. So airlines like Ryanair will love this because yeah. they hated the business traveler. They figured out a business model that actually jammed the plane without business travellers, right? Yeah, yeah. So what you're going to see is like all those airlines that did this, you know, London to Hong Kong, London to LA, no normal person flies London to Hong Kong. And they fly London to Hong Kong because the top 30 rows are full of suits. Yeah. Paying five or six grand or whatever it happens to be. So it changes profoundly airline travel. It yeah. changes profoundly business. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, you hear all these people saying, let's get back to normal. The Indian writer, Booker Prize winner for The God of Small Things, Arundhati yeah. Roy. Right, yeah, yeah. And she said something very interesting. She says, everybody's telling me, let's get back to normal, but normal is how we got here. Oh, right. So basically yeah. what she's saying is that the new normal ain't going to look like the old normal. Yeah, So and nor all should these, And all these things are going to change. But in terms of corporate culture, these business trips were part of their package. It was part of their, their normal perks of the job. So what happens to that? These perks are going to be taken out and 
some sort of other way, surely. Yeah, well, hopefully they will subsidize podcasts and sponsor podcasts at that great Good length. Idea. That's that's a, now, that's really the best idea of that. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so that's the actual travel bit itself. Yeah. But then, you know, the cities, the destinations, it's going to have a, a massive impact on those cities. Like I'm thinking about the likes of Dubai in the Middle East, yeah. and then the usual ones of Hong Kong, New York, Basically, London. Every, every city with a new airport is going to pay significantly. So think of all those steel and glass, beautiful new airports built yeah. in the last 10 years. Yeah, They all were built around an airline business model, which had the business traveller subsidising everybody else. Mm. And the business traveller was paying his bills or her bills on a credit card subsidised by his company as a cost, right? Mm. Now, from that comes taxi companies, bars and restaurants in the airports, paying yeah. high rent to the airport owners. Then you have boutique hotels. Yeah. Then you have high-end restaurants. Then you have swanky bars, not pubs that we go to, but swanky bars, right? All of these were based at least, John, Monday to Thursday mm. on somebody else paying the bill. So yeah, when they probably you, never dealt in cash at all. It was just yeah, purely... It was just the, a corporate credit card. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, right? So, but think about it. Think about a city like Dublin, right? So many businesses in the centre of town, high-end restaurants, yeah. bars, hotels, right? Consider the amount of boutique hotels that have been built in the last 12 months and the amount are still yet to be built, right? Our very first podcast, I think, a year and a half ago, was about the crane count in Dublin. That's the crane right, count yeah. in Dublin was about high-end offices yeah. for businessy type people and high-end hotels being built. All of those businesses don't make any sense now, right? They don't right. make any sense. So imagine the amount of these businesses that are going to go bust because of this. So, I mean, for you and I, the business traveler is kind of a caricature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she or he is a fundamental driver of urban economics. Fundamental. And so many cities biased themselves or twisted themselves to face the business traveller. Yeah. So like, think about Ireland. What's the most, the biggest building we've built recently? The conference centre. Right, yeah, yeah, There ain't yeah. going to be conferences. Think about it, right? All that thing in the docks in Dublin, it's all driven for people who are, as CNN would say, that type of person. Yeah. The business traveller. So is this going to have an impact then on foreign investment here? So, because, you know, if you'd like, you have Apple, you have Pfizer's, all those kind of companies that are based here, that, you know, there's still going to be some sort of business travel. There has to be. There is some sort, but it's, I mean, as I said, this global chief executive told me their business travel budget is going to be cut by 90%. Mm. So it means that only absolutely essential meetings will go ahead. And those absolutely essential meetings are probably the ones that will finish a deal, like seal a deal. Yeah. But the problem is, as you said, that business is personal. Absolutely. So you do business with people you know. Yeah. And typically you buy off people you like, which is why the salesman, who I've always thought is the great lamented hero in business. Yeah, right? yeah. The person who can go out and sell, the person who can persuade you, change your mind, say, you know, you don't want to buy this, you want to buy that. That geezer, yeah. be it man or woman, they are the essential wizards of business because they take the products and they bring them to life yeah and they actually create the value added now how do they do that 
they do that by mooching and smoozing and sitting around and having drinks and doing all that sort of stuff. Because yeah. the vast majority... It's all very tactile. Of, well, think about it. The vast majority of products are identical. Yeah. The whole idea, like, there might be marginal differences. Laptops, marginal differences. Cars, marginal differences. Yeah. They're actually the same product. And what has happened because of technological innovation is that the technology has become shared at the production level. So your final product is more or less the same. The value added is the idea that you migrate from, not that I like this product, yeah. but I, I am like this product, right? Right, right. The, yeah. I am like this product is the salesman's genius. Yeah. That they get into your head with branding and marketing, human psychology, behavioral economics, understanding your weak points, understanding your strengths, yeah. figuring out you. Being the sell, problem solver. And they sell, yeah. right? And you sell face to face. So what the businesses might gain on a spreadsheet, which is less costs, yeah, they could lose on this human basis, which is no sales. Yeah, no, I, I see exactly what you mean. But there is an upside to this, there's surely. Always, John, there's always winners and there's always losers. So the losers in this one are the restaurants, the bars, the high-end products that sold yeah. to the business traveler particularly the airlines, number one. And also, just a note, Ireland made a huge play in airline leasing. You know the airline leasing? Yeah, yeah. my cousin that works in that area. incredibly fragile now. Because if you think about it, airline leasing is all about getting a maximum price for a, sure. an aircraft yeah. and leasing against it. Now, if aircrafts lose the business traveller, the Good value point. of aircraft has to fall because the revenue associated has to fall. Now, there's three or four. There was a company that started called GPA, Guinness Pete Aviation, yeah, which started by your man Tony Ryan mm. in Limerick around Shannon about 40 years ago, right? Out of that came many, many executives who understand or understood the airline business, out of which came three or four big airline leasing companies. And Ireland became central to them. Yeah. It's hard to see those companies surviving because think about it, right? They've borrowed lots of money. They've lent it out against the aircraft. Sure. But the aircraft's value is a function of, are there people traveling? And if there are people traveling, how much are they paying? Mm. So now we know that we're getting less people traveling and paying considerably less. So the value of that asset, the aircraft, has to fall because the income associated with that asset has fallen completely. So in terms of the losers... The airline business, mm. airports, all ancillary services that actually feed into the business traveller. But there are winners, John. Yeah. There's small Irish companies for whom, for example, the well, business trip was a massive cost. Yeah. Might be able to do things. So, so there'll be, instead of going on the big business trip, there's going to be the local SMEs are going to benefit from people staying at home more. And spending some of that, as you said, that perk budget. Yeah. Everyone needs a perk. Yeah, yeah, On yeah. something else. And it's interesting, though, I mean, talking about SMEs, and you were talking about products earlier being, a lot of products being the same and stuff. You know, there's, you know, Zoom, for instance, has become a verb at this stage. I'm going to Zoom you. I'm going to Zoom you. Yeah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But there are Irish companies that do 
similar things and we should be pushing them and really the, the, I, I don't know because people like Workair right. Workair are a company very similar in fact they do an awful lot more than Zoom but you know do they order like the takeaways and <laughs> get a few bottles of wine in and all that sort of stuff while you're sitting around but you know what I mean there's you know Workair is, is one of many Irish companies SMEs who could, you know, really take advantage of this as well. Well, you were worker. well let's, let's explore that. I mean, it's interesting you talk about to Zoom, the Zoomification of the world, of the business world, yeah. right? What Zoom tells us is that it's so clear that in our capitalist world, there is mm. not a tendency towards competition. As economics would say, you know, perfect competition and yada, yada, yada. There's a tendency towards monopoly. And that tendency is that, when the world is open and free and everyone can pick and choose yeah. and move around, certain companies emerge as monopolists. And what they do is they elbow out all the rest of companies, yeah. right? And we see that in a variety of different things. Now, if post-COVID, we go back into less travel, we go back into less globalization then maybe what we're going into, John, and this could be the long-term implication, we can come back to this in another podcast, is that the long-term implication of this sudden stop in economics yeah. and the sudden stop in the global economy will be the re-emergence of competition rather than monopoly. Just before you go, I have a little gem for you on Thursday. It's a conversation with one of the best, actually the top-rated Wall Street economists for many, many years, David Rosenberg, who now runs his own shop, Rosenberg & Associates, a wonderfully erudite economist. And now that Biden has announced Janet Yellen, the former head of the Fed, is going to be the Treasury Secretary, we're going to delve deeper into what all this means for the United States, where the United States is economically, and where the world is economically. So don't miss it. Thursday morning.